Hi, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for this extraordinary privilege today. It really is a privilege for me to be with you. And I was with you probably about a year, year and a half ago, something like that. And Shane's been wanting me to come back. And uh, when he told me he may not be here, uh, I told him, Shane, I got it, dude. I've been doing what you've been doing for about 40 years. And so uh, hopefully the church won't fall apart when they hear this boy um, who happened to uh, be called to the ministry many, many years ago when I really wanted to be a football coach. Uh, I still want to be a football coach. <laughs> and I know there's an opening down in L.A. And so I may... I may stop. I may stop off for an interview today before it's all over. And um, you know, it's just really, really great to be here. And I just want to tell you how much I love and appreciate Shane, and um, how much I love and appreciate Pastor Abram. What a star! And. Um, strong, loving. He reminds me of someone who is meek. You know what meek means in the Scripture? It means tamed strength. A lot of people have a lot of strength, but they don't let the Holy Spirit tame it. And when that happens, it ain't good. <laughs> I was in Texas earlier this week, spoke to a gathering called Care for Pastors. About 160 leaders, 50, 60 leaders, 150, 160 leaders who gathered in Austin, Texas. And uh, have any Texans here today? Nobody will testify. All right. Um, I was born in Texas and raised, so I will testify. Don't hold that against me. Uh, but the the uh, point is, is that uh, those leaders discussed about how to care for pastors. That's a big deal today. Just think about your own life. And sometimes we think pastors, you know, they're different. They're not any different you are. I mean, they're just like you. They have problems like you. They deal with stress like you. Uh, it's not simply about their faith life. It's not usually the faith life that detours a pastor and sidelines him. It's usually his life off of the stage. Marriage, family, money, uh, problems. It happens to anybody. And it just reminded me again, church, just you and me, and we're going to act like Abram's not in the room. <laughs> Care for your pastor. Amen. Pastor Shane and Pastor Abram, who also preaches in this pulpit, even though Shane is the lead pastor, care for your pastor. Amen. And... You know, the bottom line is, 
That's what Christians should do. And we should care for one another. I want us to bow together for a moment. We thank you, O Lord, for the worship today. Holy Spirit, fall on this place and upon the preaching of your word. May every word that's said be covered in the blood of Jesus and anointed by the Holy Spirit. And may we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes you may wonder why Pastor Shane sets aside 21 days in a calendar and calls you to pray. And some of those days, or all of those days, he may also call you to set aside times that you fast along with your prayer. You might wonder, why does he do that? Is he the only weird dude in America? <laughs> oh no. My church has been doing days of prayer and fasting for years and years and years. And 21 days of prayer every January to kick off of the year. In fact, right now, the church is still in 21 days of prayer. And, you know, the good news is every church needs to pray. But also every Christian needs to pray because, listen to what I'm about to say to you, you are the church. This building, nice, appreciate it, it's wonderful, but it could go away today. And Westside Church would still be alive. The church is people. It's not places and buildings and all of those matters. So individually, we're the church. And collectively, we're the church. Are you with me now? So today, what I want to do is I want to speak to you in my time with you about seeing your church experience the impossible. And that also means your life, because what? You are the church. Look at the person next to you and say, you are the church. That's right. It's that silly. I don't like it when somebody does that to me when I'm listening. But I just want you to know, that's what we are. That's what we are. But we really are that when we're together. There's nothing like being with the people 
of God. In this message today, I want to urge you to understand that you can see the impossible happen. Your marriage and your family can see the impossible happen. You say, well, you don't know my wife. <laughs> no, I don't. But I know the God she serves. And the God you serve. And God could do more in a moment than you could ever do in a lifetime. And your church, West Side Church, you can experience the impossible. God is not finished with you. As long as you have breath to breathe and a life to live, God is not finished with you. God is not finished with your marriage. Some of you may think He is, but He's not. He's not finished with your children. And I know there are children that are probably away from God that you tried to raise in the Lord and they're not living for Christ today. God is not finished with your children. God is not finished with your family. And God is not finished with your church. Never forget what I'm about to say to you today. Extraordinary prayer always precedes every great movement of God. That's true biblically. And listen, it's true historically. Extraordinary prayer. Prayer that is beyond the ordinary. You pray five minutes, ten minutes is extraordinary for you. Doesn't matter whether that extraordinary can come in time, in number of days, like 21 days, or commitment. I'm really going to be all in this. I'm soaking my life in it. I'm believing God. I'm so tired of being chained and tied up. And I want to ask God to release me from those chains. I'm tired of feeling so stressed. I cannot be effective. I need the peace of God to come on me. It depends on what it is. But that can also be a time of extraordinary focus. I want you to get your Bible today, if you have it, or you can scroll it to wherever you want to, but I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 33 today. Jeremiah chapter number 33. This is a verse I'm sure that you have been taught. I told God this, and He said, teach it to Him. And the Scripture says these words in Jeremiah 33.3. Be sure you mark it in your Bible. Highlight it on your screen. 
This is a game changer. The one before it and the one after it is too, but I just want to tell you, this one is special. Oh, the one before it and after it's also special. <laughs> it's all special when God says it. But in chapter 33, verse 3, it says to me and to you, call to me. That's God speaking. And I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. What a word! God issues an invitation to Jeremiah and the people of God to do this. Call. Call. You, you're talking about like today, calling God on this? Hey God, what's his number? No, call is a word that has strong meaning. It means to call out. It means to proclaim. It means to cry out. It's one thing when you have a small need and you talk to God and you're still calling out. But it's another thing when you have this huge need and then you're calling out with desperation and need. Are you with me? God says to Jeremiah and to the people of God, Call out to me. Call to me. God told Moses, I read it this morning over in the book of Exodus. God told Moses, come. Come. And meet with me. God was in the cloud on the mountain. Come. And Moses climbed and met with God. It's what God asks you to do every day. Every day. When you look at Jeremiah chapter 33, let me give you just a word of background. The Babylonians who were evil were about to siege their final siege upon the people of Jerusalem. When this would happen, judgment would occur. But the Bible tells us that God spoke a word of promise and hope and encouragement to Jeremiah about it. Of all things, God tells him, he tells him this. While God is about to judge the people of God, here's what was going to happen. The Babylonians were going to take God's people and exile them out of their land of promise and take them to Babylon for 70 years. The judgment of God that came was a promised judgment because the people were disobedient. 
And while the Babylonians thought they were the King Kong of that generation, they were nothing more than just clay in the hands of the potter. To carry out the judgment against his own people. But not only was the judgment promised, the scripture even says that God had given a promise earlier to Jeremiah that needs to be noted and read this morning. Not just Jeremiah 33.3, but another verse of scripture of enormous promise. Even in the midst of impending judgment. A verse that some of you know. A verse that even maybe a few could quote. And so I want you to turn left in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 29. And let's read together verse number 11. For I know the plans that I have for you. Remember, judgment's coming. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But here's my plan. Here's my plan. Even though I know my plan of judgment's about to happen. My long-term plans for you is for prosperity and not, and, and for, for prosperity and not for disaster. Can I get an amen? amen? How many of you'd rather have prosperity than disaster? To give you a future and a hope. Who needs a future? Who needs a hope? All of us. And because God had given that promise to Jeremiah earlier, God was telling Jeremiah in chapter 33, verse 3, Therefore, dude, why don't you talk to me? Talk to me about the judgment to come. But remember what I said to you early. Great and mighty things are about to happen when you call to me. Things you do not know, Jeremiah, nor things that you can even see. These are things, Jeremiah, that are even beyond your human comprehension. God was also telling Jeremiah that I will answer what I've already promised to you already over there in Jeremiah um, 29.11. God wanted him to talk to him. I read this this week in preparation. I thought I'd share it. I thought it was really good. Maybe you've heard it before too. Little prayer, little blessing. More prayer, more blessing. Much prayer, much blessing. In your life, whatever your challenge is today, whatever your problem is today, talk to God about it. I do not know the internal workings of Westside Church, nor do I know what's going in on here. But I can tell you this, 
Whatever is going on in your church, whatever the needs may be, Westside Church, talk to God about your needs. Whatever obstacles this church faces, every church faces obstacles. They're not the only church. Whatever obstacles are in front of this church to go to the next level of reaching more people for Jesus Christ in this region, talk to God. He can bring the walls down. Oh, by the way, look at this. Prayer is faith. So pray and fast about it. You say, well, I don't know if I really want to fast or I feel called to fast. Okay, fine. That's between you and God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Prayer is still faith, and so just pray about it. You find your level of commitment, that's between you and the Lord. I had some dear friends in Austin, Texas. There's a pastor there by the name of Kai Bowman. Great preacher. And another pastor by the name of, 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 of Trey, um, Trey Kent. Kai is a Baptist. Forgive him. <laughs> Trey is a charismatic. Forgive him. <laughs> but those brothers have felt led of God for now about, I think, probably 12 to 15 years to make the city of Austin, which is very liberal, and make it become the most prayed for city in all of America. And there's some over 100 churches that gather together from all denominations and they have created this unceasing prayer movement over the entire city of Austin. Some of this really came into reality and really went to a whole different level when Austin endured Months with virtually no rain and daily temperatures exceeding 100 degrees almost every day in the summer of 2014. The drought was real and literally very questionable whether or not they would have a national disaster. Ten pastors determined in a prayer meeting they were in that God wanted them to call a citywide prayer meeting with the purpose of asking God for rain. Just imagine that. We want all of y'all to come together. Many will. We're going to get in one setting and we're going to pray for one thing. We're going to ask God for rain. So they had a two-hour prayer meeting a month later. Over a thousand Christ followers from 
multiple, multiple churches and denominations came together and they asked God for rain. The forecast was bleak. But two days later, unexpected rain and flash floods covered Austin. Unseasonably rain and thunderstorms occurred for months. And the city's source of water, Lake Travis, which covers over 19,000 acres of land, reached once again its needed level. It was so drastic that even a national media source published a story entitled Prayer That Ended a drought. I want to tell you today, our God is able. And there is nothing God cannot do. Whatever your problem, whatever your situation, whatever the obstacles are with this church towards reaching more people for Jesus, there is nothing that our God cannot do. And I can assure you the supernatural power of prayer and fasting can move the heart of God, but it mainly moves your heart to conform to whatever God is doing at the time. I want to urge you this morning to understand, don't you ever, ever, ever give up on the church. The church is Jesus's. He bought it. He paid for it. You didn't. And the gates of hell. Did you hear what I said? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. In the church that I served as pastor for almost 33 years, of which I departed about the middle of 2019 to go help a large denomination in leadership for a season. We entered many days through that entire tenure as a church and as an individual to fast and pray for God to do the impossible. We prayed and fasted for buildings, for souls to come to Christ, for resources, for God to draw people from the north and the south and the east and the west to our church, for spiritual breakthroughs, and even for spiritual events. God hears the prayer of His people. After one event and in one event, during those days, we had 2,000 people in one week come to Christ. In my tenure as pastor, over 25,000 people came to know Jesus and were baptized to the glory of God. Listen to me. We walked property and ask God for it. We claimed it 
for God. We prayed about it. We fasted about it. And God did it. Listen very carefully. Even that same church who was succeeded as a pastor right after I left and was called even while I was pastor to be the successor. Even last year, baptized 1,100 people. It's not about men and personalities. It's about the power of God when you pray and when you fast. Please understand, there is a connection. Get this. There is a connection between prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and church growth. And they're going to put that on the screen for you. A connection between prayer, evangelism, discipleship, and church growth. They cannot exist individually. They, they come together because God gets involved and He changes everything about your life and changes everything about His church. Reminds me of a story. One day, a young lumberjack challenged an older co-worker to a contest. And both of those men wanted to see which man could cut down the most trees in a single day. Just like a man always wanting to be better than the other man. Well, by sundown, the older lumberjack had won, hands down. The younger man could not figure, what in the world happened? He chopped all day, nonstop, while the other lumberjack stopped every hour and sharpened his axe. Finally, when he won the contest, the younger man asked him, how did you do that? And the older lumberjack said, Every time I sat down, I sharpened my axe. In your life, prayer, even punctuated by fasting, it becomes like sharpening your life. We can do more with God than we can ever do without God. God's got big plans for this church. God's got plans for your life. But there is nothing that will accelerate your growth exponentially more than praying and even at times fasting. You see, God does only what God can do when the church prays and fasts. That's what God does. God does only what He can do. And you know what's really amazing about that? Everybody needs that statement. Because everybody's got an issue today. So I ain't got no issue. Yeah, you do. You're proud. <laughs> You're arrogant. 
Get your heart right. Everybody has something. I just want to tell you, God can do what nobody else can do. Now, based upon all that we've said, and I'm going to go quickly through what I'm about to tell you, so don't pass out. (laughs) I want to give you this morning ten ways your church will experience God. Your life will experience God when you pray and fast. Let me tell you the first thing you will experience. A much greater focus. You know, Jesus made the mission clear before He ascended to be with God in heaven. You know, when you think about somebody giving you their last words, it's a pretty big deal. I mean, the last words Jesus ever uttered on this earth, according to the Scripture, in a chronological sense that's given to us in the book of Acts, Jesus said these words in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. That means it's like dynamite. Dunamis is the word. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. When you pray and you fast, the Holy Spirit will call your life into order. And He will call your church into order. And every person and every church needs to be called into order. You will rise with mighty courage, but a much sharper focus. Rather than running here and running here and doing this and doing that. And why doesn't God move? Now Jesus said, when you focus on reaching people with the gospel where you live, in the region you live, the state you live, the country you live, and the world you live in, when you focus on that, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down on you with greater power than ever before. But you got to be focused on that. You need more focus in your life? Been a little ADD lately? Pray fast. Number two, you will experience the extraordinary. It is extraordinary when a church prays and a church fasts. It's extraordinary when an individual prays and an individual fasts. As this church does, you will experience the extraordinary work of God. That's exactly what Jeremiah said in chapter 33, verse 3. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know. That's extraordinary. Extraordinary. The Lord will make a difference more than ever before. 
Number three, you will begin to live with a greater sensitivity. Sensitivity. The sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. When your church prays and fasts, an unusual spiritual sensitivity occurs. Your church will become sensitive to God and sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You will become sensitive in the way you treat one another. And by the way, there's a few families here that lead a little more sensitivity. And there's some of you men here. You need a greater sensitivity towards your spouse and towards your kids. And if you think, well, I'm a man, I can restrain it, I can take care of it. Dude, you are carnal. You, you, are, you are just like me. We're depraved. We don't have a shot without the power of God in our life. And the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit ruling in our lives. When your church is being led by the Holy Spirit, you don't want to quench the Spirit. You don't want to smother Him. Nor do you want to grieve Him. Make Him sad in your life or in your church with your bitterness, with your wrath, with your anger, with your shouting, with your slander, with your malice. That's all Ephesians 4, by the way. <laughs> and all those things grieve the Holy Spirit. But when you do what we just talked about, there will be a greater sensitivity to the Spirit and to one another. There will also be unity. Unity. Jesus prayed, and I quote, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. John 17, 21. Therefore, Jesus prayed for the unity of the church. I believe He's still interceding for the unity of the church. And I want you to know, He's praying for the unity of your family. That's right. Bunch of renegades, part of your family is. <laughs> or my family is. He's praying for the unity of those. Oh, listen, we need to understand He's praying for the church to be unified. He's praying for you at Westside to be unified. You could do more together than you can ever do alone. Yes, yes. We have to come together for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People need Jesus much more than you need your way. And the way you think. And in your heart. When the church prays and fasts together, unity will occur. And we, the church today, needs to become the visible answer to the prayer of Jesus in John 17. That we might come together in unity. Also, number five, we will have a greater health. Health. Prayer and fasting move Christians and churches toward a healthy culture. You know, some churches can't grow because they're not. Their culture is terrible. Just like some families can't grow because their culture is bad. Well, listen, we need to understand 
Prayer and fasting changes the culture of your life, the culture of your family, the culture of your church. And we need to pray about it. We need to ask God about it. And healthy churches grow just like healthy people grow. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were being strengthened. That's healthy. In the faith. And they were increasing in number daily. That means people were coming to Christ every day. When the church is healthy spiritually, listen carefully, God will do great and mighty things and give you many people for the gospel and many people to be saved and baptized and discipled to the glory of God. You will also see growth. That's number six. When your church prays and fasts together, growth occurs. Growth follows health. Growth follows prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting will contribute to your culture. And when we have a spiritual culture built upon unified fellowship, focused on taking the gospel to every person in this region for the glory of God, then listen carefully. There will be growth. There will be growth. Praying Christians grow. And praying churches grow. We can't justify not growing if we're healthy. We need to understand healthy people grow and healthy families grow and healthy churches grow. John Cope who is a pastor in Philadelphia region, in metro Philadelphia. He used to be my student pastor, probably 30 years ago. We launched him out to plant a church in the city of Philadelphia about 22 years ago. While he was with us, he learned about prayer and fasting. He was with me for a number of years. He learned about what it meant to pray and fast, and God used it greatly in his life. He was our student pastor. Well, that church today, to the glory of God, pastor, touches just under 2,000 people a week in metro Philadelphia. That church trains thousands of pastors over Africa and South Asia, along with, of course, pastoring the church. And God's raised up John as well to become one of the major leaders in the sin network of church planting. And he takes care of all of Pennsylvania and South Jersey in leading churches to plant other churches. Talk about the power of prayer and fasting, his Marriage is healthy. His boys, who were a little about this big when they were with me, one of them got that big. They're now all three called into the ministry of the gospel. And they practice prayer and fasting consistently. One just planted a church in Orlando about two years ago. One lives in the Middle East and puts his entire life on the line for the gospel every day with his family with him. 
ought to plant churches and reach people for Jesus. And the other one planted another church in Philadelphia. All were impacted in the power of prayer and fasting. They're a growing family. Not just with grandchildren, but they're a growing family in the Lord that God is using. God uses growing Christians, growing families, and growing churches. You know what happens also? You develop, number seven, a greater anticipation. There's a spiritual and a holy hunger that comes into your life when you do that. I'm telling you, when you've had a great week with God and, and God is moving in your life and, and He's, and He's working in your life, and let's say you're setting aside days for focused prayer and fasting, I'm telling you what, you look forward to going to church. It's not something you dread going to. You just wait to see what God does. That's what I'm talking about. Anticipation. You're expecting God to do something. When you come, you don't only want to see what God will do with the church. You want God to do something in you. Well, that's what we need. We'll also have a greater vision. A greater vision. When the church prays and fasts together, the church's vision becomes enlarged. Now listen, I, I'm, I've been in churches all over the country. And most churches, their vision is not very big. Most Christians, the vision of God working in their life is not very big. I want to ask your church a question first, and then I want to ask you this question. Is your vision big enough? And for you personally, is your vision for your life big enough? When you pray and fast, you will experience the impossible. Number nine, engagement. You know, God does something in your heart when you set aside time to be with Him. You want to be engaged in the community. You don't want to act like you're some holy huddle up here that looks down on the people of your region and, you know, cast all this judgment upon them. But Jesus has taken your heart and He's broken your heart for the people nearest you. Take five miles from here. Everything within five miles, do you have a heart for it? Do you have brokenness over it? The lost need Jesus. The dying need Jesus. Students need Jesus. Men Women, families. We can meet the physical needs of people and their practical needs, but never forget it. Their greatest need is Jesus. And when God is working like that, eventually the church will see advancement. 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 As the church practices prayer and fasting, we advance toward fulfilling what we call the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. 
Matthew chapter 18, 19 and 20. 28, 19 and 20. I want to tell you today, that's what it's about. Taking the gospel to every person in this region. It should consume us. It should dominate our agenda. People need Jesus, and people need Jesus now. The urgency is great. And we advance the good news of Jesus. We win them to Christ. We see them come to Christ. We baptize them, and then we disciple them. That means teach them how to live like Jesus. So I challenge you tonight. All that stuff I've talked about the entire time. It all starts with you. That's right. It starts with you. If it doesn't happen in you, don't expect you to, for it to happen here. You are the church. And all of us together, we can become really, really strong as the church. You must understand, we must together seek the Lord. We must together Pray and fast and trust God. We must together develop a heart to reach the lost people who are not destined for heaven, but destined for an eternity without God in a place called hell. And we need to give them the good news of Jesus, that Christ came to die for your sins. And not only did He die for your sins, He became your sins. And He died in your place. And He shed His blood on the cross. And that cross today and that blood today has had the capacity to wash away all of your sins. All you have to do is come. Come to Jesus. There are people here today, people that are watching online. You need Jesus. If life were to end, you would not go to heaven. You need forgiveness of your sin. You need to know you're going to heaven when you die. I tell people all the time, they say, well, I'm not sure I remember the, the day or the time I came to Christ. Does that mean I'm lost? Listen, I'm not God in telling you whether you're lost or you're saved. But I can tell you one thing. If you cannot tell me the place you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you need to be saved today in this place. Because you may not remember the day or the time you gave your life to Christ, but you will never forget the place where you gave your life to Jesus Christ. And if you can't name that place today, I want you to come in a moment publicly. And you're going to be shown by Pastor Abram and others. We're going to talk to you about what it means to know Christ. We're going to take you in a, in a room over here called the prayer room. That's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're not going to hold you hostage. <laughs> we're going to pray for you and talk to you about how to know Jesus. And before you leave that place, He will come in your life. And all your sins will be forgiven. Can you imagine that? All the good, the bad, the ugly, all that's gone. 
and you are made brand new. You say, man, does that mean I'm going to lose a hundred pounds? No. <laughs> does that mean I'm going to, I'm going to look totally different with all of my infirmities? No. But I tell you what it will mean. You're going to see things brand new. And a new you is going to happen right here. And over time, that new you is going to come through you. I urge you today to do that. And there are others in this room today, you, you, you already know Christ, but you need to be baptized. We're going to offer an opportunity to be baptized today, immediately. We're, we got it, we're, we're, we're ready, we're prepared for you. You say, well, I'm, I didn't really come prepared. You're prepared. Because we're ready for you. We're ready for you. And I urge you in a moment to come as soon as we begin to sing. And I'm going to ask you to, to tell pastor, I, I want to be baptized today. And we're going to, again, we're going to take you in this room over here, this prayer room, and we're going to talk to you about it. And then we're going to baptize you. And baptize you. And there are many of you. You need to come to God and talk to God today. You got you got some stuff. You say, I ain't got no stuff. Okay. God bless you. Well, I'm gonna tell you, come pray for your church. Come pray for your church. Nothing will change your attitude any more than praying for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for Acts 1-8 to come alive like never before in this church. That we will have a focus on reaching people for Jesus Christ and we'll be consumed with that vision.